session with Dr. Farid Holaki. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolaki, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Uh, we'll be doing Instagram Live today, although having some issues connecting with that. But So I won't be doing any calls, but I'll be talking about the books. And let me get started with that. The book of the week for this week that I'll be talking about on next Monday's show is The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. The New Jim Crow. Mask Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. So, The New Jim Crow Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. This is a book that looks at how the prison system in the United States uh, is definitely not colorblind or clearly has some issues related to race. I actually read this book um, a few years ago, but talked about it on the show, but wanted to talk about it in more detail and to read it again myself as uh, the issue of race and racism, which never goes away, but has become even more in the public eye. I thought it would be important to to uh, talk about this book and to read it again. So again, it's The New Jim Crow, The uh, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Color Blindness by Michelle Alexander. If, you, if I sound a little distracted, it's because I'm having some issues here with the Instagram Live for some reason. It's um, not quite working, uh, but we'll see how that goes. But anyway... The book of the week for uh, this week that I, I'll talk about tonight, actually, or last week's book of the week is Disability Visibility, edited by Alice Wong. Disability Visibility, first-person stories from the 21st century, uh, edited by Alice Wong. And I'm so happy I, I read this book. I came across this book looking at the, um, the Twitter feed from Judith Human who you might remember her book, uh, her memoir, Being Human, that I talked about a few months ago. And so I uh, was able to uh, see this, and I thought it would be interesting to read this. Essentially, it's the account of, I, I think, 20 to 30, maybe even more, contributors sharing their experiences um, or something related to uh, disabilities and living with a disability, which it was quite fascinating, eye-opening. I, at times, have talked about when I am, um, you know, reading these books of the week, it, it's very often feels like uh, I am having conversations with, with with the author. And so in this case, I, it was very nice. I, it was as if I got to have the conversation, at least maybe brief ones, with many different individuals who uh, were sharing their different experiences. And the book title, Disability Visibility, it's also the name of a, a movement or also a podcast by Alice Wong, which actually I heard an episode of today. Um, and essentially we can, you know, from the title you can assume some things, but it's trying to make the lives of individuals with disabilities more visible. Because if we look at society, if you look at the media, we don't see many representations of visible disability or clear disability. And I say that because, of course, um, disability itself is a, uh, a term that's not going to be so black and white or clear to differentiate what is exactly uh, a disability, when are you disabled. Of course, for some people, their experiences being disabled are very clear, 
But at the same time, I say that because oftentimes there's neurodivergent types of disabilities or people might have, let's say, autism, which might not be as apparent, or even mental illness at times can be seen as a type of disability as well. So uh, it's not always so visible. So we've definitely seen people in movie and TV uh, shows with more invisible disabilities, but it's less common to see individuals with disabilities portrayed, or if they are, as is often the case with a group that isn't represented very much, it becomes the salient factor uh, of that individual or that character. So they are the individual who is blind, and that's a big part of their character, or they're in a wheelchair, or they're this, or whatever it is. As is the case before, when we look at things like race, where it was, let's say, the black person, and that was a big part, and still is, uh, unfortunately, but we're moving more away from that. So uh, it's important for us to promote and to include individuals who have disabilities in, in all forms of media and to hear their stories. That's one way because you never know what it's like to be someone or to go through a certain experience um, unless you are an individual who's going through that. So you have to hear people's stories. And this is the same thing we've talked about when it comes to uh, racism in the United States, for example, where we have said that if we want to understand what it's like to be African-American in the United States, we have to hear it from the African-Americans who are going through that experience. And so for me, that was very meaningful in this book, hearing the different experiences of the individuals going through uh, what they were going through um, was quite eye-opening and very important for me. And I hope you will read this book, Disability Visibility, by, or edited by Alice Wong. So the book starts with an article or a contribution from Harriet McBride Johnson, who has passed away um, several years ago now, but her very powerful and, for me, um, even sad to read uh, account, Unspeakable Conversations, I think it was an article that was published in the New York Times back in 2003, something like that. But she talks about her relationship, but really her debating with Professor Peter Singer, of, as it says in the back cover, over her own personhood. And so I've talked about this on recent shows because for me this was something that was hard to even at first fathom, but I had come across Peter Singer in my own experience or journey in trying to uh, determine if I wanted to become a, a vegan or to you know be a vegetarian. And so he's done a lot of great work, Peter Singer, on animal rights and helping us to recognize the importance of um, the rights of animals and the way we treat animals. And I actually have a book that I'm you know ordered that is already on the way about his work uh, on animal rights that hasn't come out yet, but is, is soon to come out. And so I was very shocked to see that someone who was promoting animal rights so much and essentially saying we need to be better to animals, take better care of them, we can't treat them in the ways we do, it's inhumane, would then be in essence arguing as he did or he does. And it's good. It's pretty nuanced, I might not really present it so clearly, but essentially saying that individuals or parents who have a child born with a disability 
or certain disabilities, severe disabilities, and he talks about how where we know it's going to impair their quality of life, which that itself is rife with assumptions because talking about what it means to live a good life or have a quality of life and the assumption that someone who has a disability won't have a good quality of life, uh, which we don't know, again, it's subjective. And then also, when we think about living a good life in any society, how you are accepted, included, integrated into that society is going to be significant in how you feel in that society and your quality of life and your experience. So if you uh, look at LGBTQ members, they might feel, an individual might feel better now than they did 100 years ago, not because anything inherent in being LGBTQ was uh, worse than, than it is now, but that society is more accepting than they were, is inclusive much more than it was. Of course, still have work to do, but uh, we definitely see that there's been progress made in this regard. So when we look at quality of life, rather than I think it's heartbreaking to think, well, maybe we should end these lives or not even let these people live, which it, which is really, um, again, I was shocked to see that argument being presented. I would prefer if uh, Peter Singer, with all due respect, would put his efforts into helping the rights and the lives of people with disabilities who are living because so much work can be done there. And I think he could have such an impact there as he has in the uh, animal rights movement and also in even donating money to charity. I read his book just a few weeks ago, The Life You Can Save, and his uh, organization with that same name that is helping people and encouraging people to donate money to charities that will um, help people save lives, literally save lives. And so it's almost shocking to then see something that seems to be taking away life or minimizing the significance of certain lives. Now, I saw some of his debates or things where he talked on this issue and he was saying it's in cases at times where, for example, uh, the doctors will, with the approval of the parents, if a newborn is so ill, they might deprive them of life-saving interventions and essentially let them die. And he was saying, well, then maybe we should just do something more humane rather than letting the child suffer to death, uh, find some other way. But in some other places, I saw issues like a spine, a bifida and Down syndrome um, and saying that the parents should have that same right after birth. And this brings up, of course, a lot of, of issues related to things like abortion, people who are pro-choice versus pro-life and, and all those things. And, and people can use his arguments actually in some ways to defend either side in different ways. But Nonetheless, it was quite shocking and sad and interesting, though, to hear Harriet McBride Johnson share her experiences going to, to meet him first and then being invited by him to Princeton to, to speak. And when he was appointed at Princeton back in, I think, 1999, there were a group of protesters in wheelchairs blocking his, um, his, the building entrance because, of course, they were not okay with him and they disapproved of him being appointed to uh, Princeton because of these things that he has said about uh, individuals with disabilities and, and, and what he's promoting. Anyway, so th it was interesting to see her experience with him and humanizing him, of course, too, because there were some people, as, as she shared her stories, who would tell her 
you know, why are you meeting with, with uh, kind of the, the, the devil or the monster, this really bad man? And so she shared ways that he was actually quite kind to her in, in how they interacted and his demeanor. But of course, that, that should be taken with a grain of salt, considering at the same time, uh, in some ways, he's arguing that maybe her life should not even exist or she shouldn't be alive. So it was quite, um, you know, for me, even painful when I was reading that, because as I mentioned on last Wednesday's show, I saw Peter Singer as this moral compass. And I'm sure in a lot of areas, he still is someone that I would respect and admire what he's saying. But in this respect, I very strongly disagreed. And I think uh, what he promotes, even if he's trying to make some kind of nuanced argument about how we deal with life and how we deal with newborn babies, and if parents are doing prenatal screenings and then making decisions, we, we should then allow for these even after birth, which again brings up, as I said, the, these ideas of abortion and when is a life a life and all those types of things. But I think when you have these types of arguments, what is the take home for a lot of people in the larger society is that certain lives of people, for example, who have disabilities are not good, are not as good, are not as valuable shouldn't even exist and and unfortunately that gets used by many people in a very harmful way so i think that's for me what was very sad about that but nonetheless uh, i think it's a very interesting uh, essay or article by harriet mcbride johnson called unspeakable conversations and that's just how the book begins and of course there's about i don't know exact number about 30 or so essays and contributions in between sharing individuals experiences for example about guide dogs and how you know from people like myself i would assume oh having a guide dog must make life quite easy but when you see what it's actually like you see you see that it's not so simple and it's not that when you have a guide dog you get around easily everywhere it's much more complicated um, than that and so hearing someone's actual experience with the guide dog and then when their guide dog died and now they had to get another dog and that experience that was quite interesting. Or uh, an essay about being deaf in prison. That was very, very uh, powerful and heartbreaking to see what it's like um, for individuals. So Jeremy Woody shared his story to Christy Thompson, and, and that's shared of what it's like to be deaf in prison and how few the resources were and how very often they would just pair him even with someone who was blind at one point, which is actually... Uh, he can't, you know, they can't see him and he can't hear them. So they almost couldn't communicate at all, but he wouldn't at times be able to get an interpreter to um, help him to get services, whether it's mental health services or medical services. So he was very limited in so many of the things he experienced uh, as someone who was in, in jail. And so I'm going to talk more in, in the second segment, but um, the title of the book, Disability Visibility, for many of us, we might not even realize the stories uh, of people and the experiences of certain individuals. And that is actually heartbreaking in and of itself because people are suffering. People um, are facing challenges that they shouldn't have to face. We can overcome a lot of the things that people are going through. There are uh, resources out there that we could create or allocate to certain individuals, but we have not. And then we don't even know about their stories, which is why it's so important for us to talk about and share their stories and why I really uh, urge you to read this book, Disability Visibility, 
edited by Alice Wong because we don't even know about people suffering in ways you might not know about. And as an individual, a citizen of humanity, I think we should all be focusing on how we can be allies for people who are suffering, for people who don't have everything they need or who are left out of society in so many ways. And as I've talked about when any group we discuss, whether it's uh, the African Americans in the United States, women throughout most of history and still throughout the world, or uh, the LGBTQ community, when we don't include everyone and when we don't include a certain group and we're thinking about individuals of that group, everyone loses. Those individuals lose because, of course, they are unfairly and unjustly in some ways left out of society and not given the opportunity to have a full experience, to meet their full potential, to live out their own life in a way that would be fair and to be human. And we as a society are going to miss out from the contributions of those individuals in so many aspects of life and in the world. We're going to miss out from what they can contribute if we don't allow them to be a part of society. We miss out as well. It's a lose-lose, but then when we make the appropriate and just efforts to include everyone, to meet their needs, then it becomes a win-win. We include all of humanity, and we also, to allow them to have full rights and to live a full life, and at the same time, we as a society benefit from their contributions, from the arts, sciences, to friendships, to every other aspect of life that a human being can be a part of. We all miss out, but we all win when we are allies and we create justice and progress. So I wanted to devote today's show to this book, so I'll continue talking about Disability Visibility, First Person Stories from the 21st Century, edited by Alice Wong. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in the first segment was talking about the book Disability Visibility, First Person Stories from the 21st Century, edited by Alice Wong. Uh, and to those of you on Instagram Live, we were having some issues. So the first segment, unfortunately, I'm actually quite sad about that because this book was so is so important, I think, and was so important for me and meaningful for me that I'm sad that that first part got missed, but I, I know we'll have it here on the radio and also on the podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably already know that. So um, if we look at uh, this book though, a little bit more, the, the different contributions, as I said, it was like having a conversation with, with many different individuals, at least getting to hear their insights, of course, just a starting point. And I was very touched by so many of the articles and, and it just put me in a different mindset and realizing how much I was not paying attention to individuals with disabilities. And quite frankly, this shifted even, uh, I could say, more initially for me a few months ago when I read Judith Human's memoir, Being Human, and also the documentary Crip Camp that looked at a camp back in, the, I think it was 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, quite a while ago, but that was for young people with disabilities. But then also looking at the um, movement for disability rights, which in some ways culminated or had a, a very big moment in, I think it was 1990 with the passing of the, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, but so, you know, I was mentioning before the break about how we all, it's a lose-lose when we neglect 
and leave out certain members of our society. And it's, of course, inhumane. We are doing something very wrong when we leave people out of society. And so clearly throughout history and still, individuals with disabilities have been very much ignored, neglected, forgotten, and that's not okay. We have to not be okay with that and recognize that this is something we, everyone should take seriously. Part of what I've been doing on this show, and it's been my own personal experience too, of recognize, recognizing how we can be an ally for individuals who might be left out in whatever way or don't have equal rights. And so this has been brought up in issues related to race and racism, sexism, uh, LGBTQ rights. And this is definitely another area where I think we have to pay a lot of attention as individuals with disabilities. And even I can just share myself, how often do you see someone with disabilities on television or movies? I was watching just for a few minutes some of the Democratic National Convention, and they were doing this very sweet introduction where um, they were having mostly kids but it was also not just children singing the national anthem and it appeared they had one person from each state and also um, you know places like Guam or Puerto Rico which are technically not states but regions or I forgot what they're called territories um, part of the United States and because I, I just finished this book I must say that's in a way it may be embarrassing to say that I didn't have this perspective I might not have had it before, but I was looking to see if anyone had a visible disability, and I couldn't see anyone. Now, I might have missed them, and so I don't want to say that was not the case, but it makes us realize in times when we're talking about members of the United States of America, who are we leaving out? And so, of course, we, we're talking much more about race and racism, which is important because that's still a very uh, important issue. And, neglected issue, an area of injustice in the United States, but I didn't see someone representing uh, an individual with a visible disability. And again, I, I'm saying it that way because there is very likely someone in that group of 50 so or so odd people who had a disability that might be invisible or I could not see, but we're not as used to seeing that or thinking of individuals with disabilities when we think of everyone and keeping everyone in mind. Um, I did see at one point they were showing Joe Biden meeting with people in one of these, you know, clips where they show different images, and one of them was an individual in a wheelchair, and I thought, okay, well, that's kind of, that's something, but it was just uh, something to notice or recognize that there is a lot of invisibility when it comes to individuals with disability, and I think that's why this book, and also it's a podcast, in a way, a movement by Alice Wong, Disability Visibility, is so important we have to become more familiar with individuals with disabilities. Again, not just for their sake, which is not their sake, it's their right, but also for, for us as humanity and everyone to, to get that experience uh, of what we miss when individuals with disability are not able to live their full life. You know, in a way, I was thinking of this analogy when we say everyone deserves to be at the table and as, as a society, as humanity, we have to strive towards that. And all of us, I think, are responsible to think about who are we forgetting or neglecting. And it's a lot easier not to think about these things. And this is why very often people want to deny racism, want to deny sexism, want to deny homophobia, want to deny ableism, 
and the ways that we don't think of individuals with disabilities in a lot of ways or don't give them enough rights because it's inconvenient. It's a lot easier just to accept the status quo as fair and just and whatever's going on is good and, you know, let's just let things be the way they are. Making changes does have challenges, of course. It's not easy to make change. It always involves challenges. But we have to look at the cost of not making change when we are neglecting certain human beings, when people are not given rights. It's not okay. It should not be acceptable. And not only that, it's not that we're doing, you know, sometimes I think when we, let's say, promote the rights of people who have disability, or even when we talk about racism, we sometimes think we're doing, oh, let me finish that analogy first. But I was thinking, you know, we all deserve to be at the table. And sometimes people at the table might have different needs to even get to that table. And we have to make sure everyone is there. Maybe I'm going to sit in this chair. Someone might have their own chair if they're in a wheelchair. Someone might need some other um, types of assistance to get there, but everyone deserves to be there. And we can't forget anyone when it comes to uh, making sure everyone gets gets their rights met or gets gets all the rights that they deserve. But what I was saying just a minute ago is that sometimes we think, oh, it's so good that we are helping people. And it, it is good. It is the right thing to do. But really, we should look at it the other way, that when we are not or when we have not given full rights to certain individuals, that was something very bad. That was something wrong. It wasn't that now we're doing something right and that we should get praise. It's that we're fixing a wrong. So if you were, you know, stepping on my foot and it was hurting my foot and you took your foot off, you wouldn't say, oh, you know, praise me for taking my foot off of your foot and I'm such a good person. You'd say, I'm sorry that I had my foot on yours and if I was hurting you. So similarly, when we fight for the rights of certain individuals who are not getting those rights, we should recognize it as our duty and our responsibility and in essence humbly feel uh, some acknowledgement of apology that we did not take care of them sooner. It's not something we're doing that makes us noble or good. It's the right thing to do and something we should have done a long time ago. And so I hope we can recognize that. When you're fighting for the rights of others, you are not doing something amazing or something so special. It is good. Obviously, I'm encouraging it. But recognize that it's doing something right, making something right that was wrong. And it's something that you, you definitely should, should do and should already have done and we need to do as a society. Um, but so coming back to the book and, you know, looking at how we all miss out, very interesting chapter by uh, an astronomer. What was her name? Wanda Diaz-Merced. How a blind astronomer found a way to hear the stars. And it was really interesting. So here she was. Um, Wanda Diaz-Merced is a astronomer. And due to some um, prolonged illnesses, she lost her sight. And so can, you can imagine being astronomy, that's her field, that's her, uh, her field of study. And as a scientist, what she's devoted her life to. And now when you're thinking about astronomy, I would think that too, that it's a visual science that you need to see the stars or need to look at things. But um, of course now she's lost that. And so she thought she lost her career uh, in some ways. But something that they did was they did something called sonification of certain data, essentially turning the, the data that would show up on a chart into sounds, which is quite interesting. And I don't, of course, completely understand the science of it, but it can make sense. 
but what happened was that now she was able to participate, which again, it, it could seem like, oh, how nice we're allowing her to participate, which first of all, I don't think is right, but that's sometimes the sentiment that, oh, it's so good we've accommodated her uh, to allow her to continue being an astronomer and to potentially contribute. But what was actually fascinating was that when they changed the data from this visual data to auditory, and then so now she was listening to it, she was able to hear something in the data that they weren't seeing. So quite literally, they couldn't see it from their perspective, but her now hearing it contributed something to the other astronomers into the field of astronomy that was not provided when there was just the visual data. So it's not that we did this nice thing and it's a favor to her. No, it actually, first of all, it's her right to con contribute. But also, what we able, were able to do is something that actually added something to the field. It wasn't just doing her a favor. It was making sure that by having her, first of all, just as an individual, but also then as this now unique perspective she had and added to the field, they were actually able to make an advancement that wasn't made before. Quite fascinating, quite interesting, and I think that analogy is so important because it, it points to this issue I've brought up recently related to diversity, where people at times think, oh, diversity is so nice, and it's this, you know, trying people trying to be sensitive or being politically correct, and we try to include people just to, to look good or, or you know, to feel good about ourselves. But diversity is not something that's just nice and sounds cool and a catchphrase. It, it actually has value in that when we include diversity, we actually um, improve the outcomes of whatever it is we're doing, whether it's a sales team. So I was talking about why trust science by Naomi Oreskes last week, and it was showing how when science is diverse, it makes the consensus of scientists more meaningful and closer to the truth with a capital T. Of course, we never really get it, but we reduce biases when we have people from different perspectives. So again, it's not that we should include scientists from different backgrounds because, oh, that's nice and let's be kind to people. Again, it is the more just thing to do. But on top of that, science advances. And so humanity advances. We see here the astronomy advanced because we had uh, her, um, Ms. Dr. Merced's contribution to it. I want to make sure I'm saying her name right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Wanda, Wanda Diaz Merced. Uh, her contribution actually added in a way that could not be added before. So we're not just doing diversity and inclusiveness because it's it sounds cool or it seems nice. It's actually something that builds strength. I was seeing something yesterday showing that even on juries in the United States, when there's more diversity, they took longer, looked at the facts longer, and it seems like they actually made better decisions, which in a way makes sense because sometimes when you think everyone thinks like you, you might take a lot of things as given and make a lot of assumptions and not actually look at the data because you think you know without actually checking for the facts or looking at the evidence in as objectively a way as possible. So when we include all voices, and in this case because of the book, and the topic, when we include the voices of individuals with disabilities, some of whom maybe don't have a voice in the way that I get to talk right now, but they have something to say, we all miss out. And that's the important thing. Everyone has something to say, something to contribute. And if someone can't talk in the way I am right now, it doesn't mean they don't get the right to speak or to share their thoughts. A very interesting chapter was um, with Latif McLeod, I think it was a conversation with with Alice Wong, 
um, gaining power through communication access, looking at the different types of uh, technology that can help people who maybe can't produce speech to produce speech in, in ways that might involve technology, but that um, allows them to speak. And so in watching some of the video today, I saw from um, it was Alice Wong and others, including many of the contributors in the book. And that was very nice for me to get to hear and see them, uh, some of the, the members who were in this book. But I got to see Latif McLeod, and I think he um, studied partially at uh, Berkeley and, and other universities as well. But his voice deserves to be heard, and we deserve, we also get to hear it again. So he deserves to speak and to, to, for him to get to, to make his voice heard. We also deserve, in a way, the benefit to hear his voice. We will be getting something out of that as well. And so um, it was very interesting to, to hear that perspective, looking at some of, again, things that I maybe don't think of much of producing speech because I, I'm lucky to be able to talk. I'm grateful for that. But I know not everyone has that, but it doesn't mean they don't have a voice or they don't deserve a voice. And it definitely doesn't mean they don't have something to say. And it's up to us to make sure everyone gets to sit at the table and everyone gets to say something once they are seated at the table. And, and so um, I'm going to continue talking about this topic. As I mentioned, this book was very meaningful, something that I will carry with me. Uh, I don't mean the actual book. I mean, it's what I gained from it. Carry with me. And I hope to continue to be an ally for individuals with disabilities. And I hope whoever you are, you will be uh, too, if you're listening to this, because it's up to all of us to make sure that everyone gets their rights and that justice is served in this country and around the world. And the only way we can do that is if we listen to, to people who are struggling or dealing with things or who are being neglected or at least partially neglected and ignored by society. And so I highly recommend the book Disability Visibility, by, uh, edited by Alice Wong, to give you at least some introduction, as it was for me, into understanding the experiences of some individuals with disabilities. Let's go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So I'm going to continue the show talking about disability visibility, edited by Alice Wong, first person stories from the 21st century. And again, very, very meaningful book that I hope you will read uh, if you haven't already or tune into her podcast, Disability Visibility. Um, and, and as I was sharing in the previous segments, and I wanted to make sure I say today as well, or in this segment as well, everyone should be concerned about disability rights, just like we all should be concerned about LGBTQ rights, um, the rights of African Americans in the United States, whatever we're, group we're talking about or individuals, as human beings, we all should care about all other human beings. And, you know, there's so many things I wanted to talk about today, and I won't obviously get to a lot of them. Um, but one thing I was thinking about is how hopefully we will advance as a society to take care of everyone, to take care of individuals, that we have so many um, technologies available. We can devote more technology to developing better um, ways of taking care of individuals. First and foremost, we should make sure everyone is taken care of from getting the, the food they need to the medical treatment that they need and then making sure that everyone gets to be a part of society. You know, thankfully now, most buildings, for example, in the United States, you have to have, uh, let's say, access for, for wheelchairs. That's one thing. But of course, there are so many different ways that people might be experiencing disabilities that can 
limit them or the way I should say society is limits them because that they should be given the services they need or whatever they need to, to be able to function in society. And we can do much more. Maybe before you would think, oh, you know, I'm sure when they were talking about this, actually, I remember reading in, in um, I think it was in Judith Human's book about, for example, putting ramps in schools. And it was like, oh, or at ramps in, you know, in buildings. Well, it's too expensive. We can't afford that. We're going to put money in other places. But of course, now we're seeing that we did that. And so I think when we look at people's rights, the price tag should be much less important than making sure they are given their rights to be functional members of society to meet their potential to be able to live their lives as everyone else. Every child should be able to go to school. And we know that that wasn't always the case. And Judith Human's own, uh, you know, she's an activist who's still alive and doing such great work. But in her own life, she went through these experiences where she couldn't go to school. They, uh, for a while, I think they were sending her a tutor or kind of a teacher to her home. But of course, in so many ways, that was lacking what school should have been like for a child. Uh, and then finally she went to school, but then her school was so different. They were on like some bottom floor and all the other kids were on another floor. And, and so it was still something, but it was not fair to just give her that something that little or that, you know, sparse and say, well, at least we're giving them something. That's not enough. We should not be satisfied with just giving some rights. Sometimes people, I've heard this before where people will say, well, you know, think how bad the rights of, let's say, people in the LGBTQ community was well, that's 50 years ago. So they should be grateful for whatever they have now. And no, everyone deserves equal rights. This mindset that, well, because it's better than it was before, we've done enough, is absolutely not the mindset that we can have and is not moral in any way. Everyone deserves full human rights, and we as a society have to make the efforts to make that happen. And as I've mentioned before, the only way we're going to understand how to do that is by hearing the stories of individuals who are going through different things to understand what's missing for them. And so I'm sharing my voice as an ally, but that's why I invite you to read a book like Disability Visibility or uh, you know, listen to her podcast, Alice Wong, or various other individuals who are sharing their experiences because we don't know what it's like or you don't know what it's like to be someone else and to know what they're going through, they have to tell us and we have to give them that space to tell us and we have to listen to them. And so for me, this is something that I want to be mindful of going forward, that there's so much I don't know about what people are going through that I don't understand and how heartbreaking to think that we have neglected so many people in society for so long. And so for me, this book opened my eyes to many issues that I was not even aware of. As I've, I mentioned, there's people that are suffering in ways you don't know that you don't know. You're not even aware of them. And even something I'll mention, when I was thinking about doing the show today, I was aware of, will I say something wrong? Meaning, what if I use the wrong term for people who are little people? You know, for example, you can say someone is a dwarf person, but there's other words. One starts with an M that I won't say, and I wouldn't have thought of saying that before even I read this book, of course. But still, there's terms that I might not be aware of, of what's the more appropriate term. And words definitely do matter. The way we talk about individuals, the way we talk about people's experiences, definitely make a difference. We've seen a change in, for example, homophobic language. It's not gone, but there was an F word that would refer to individuals who are gay 
that is much less common now. In my own lifetime, I've seen that change. And that's not the cause of progression in LGBTQ rights, but it's definitely related. And these things happen kind of in lockstep. It's definitely part of that process. So we should all have that humility, and I'm trying to have that too, that I'm trying to understand the experiences better. And I'm sure I, maybe even in this show, if you listen, not that it's your um, responsibility to educate me, but if you did hear something, please, uh, I'm open to the feedback of understanding what I maybe said that was not the most um, sensitive or the most aware of someone's experience. I can imagine I did say something. And as I said, I had this anxiety slightly of, well, what if I don't say it quite the right way? And I wouldn't want to offend someone or say something that's not quite right. But I hope that by having the right intention or mindset, which I will try to always have to help individuals and to be an ally, um, that if someone does hear me and I say something wrong, please correct me. I want to learn. I want to be better. I want to do better. And so I, I want to continue to educate myself. And so that's something that I wanted to close off with today is that when we talk about education, there's lots of ways of educating. One is, of course, going to school, going to graduate school, getting certain degrees. And, and I highly recommend that for anyone who it makes sense for them, who it's aligned with their goals. I've talked about this when we were talking about things like racism and race unity, that if you want to make an impact, there's so many ways to do that. But one of the ways you can do that is by becoming educated, for example, in certain ways that might actually allow for you to, to make a specific impact. If you become a lawyer, for example, you can make a much bigger impact on laws and how laws might be written than if you don't have that. So there's, of course, that schooling. But another way that we have to educate ourselves and Education is not something that ends when you finish school. I'm very grateful to read a book a week, and it's something that's been very meaningful to me to keep learning, and that's another way, of course, of growing and learning. But one way, and of course this book, I guess, kind of addresses both of these things, is also in hearing people's stories. We have to recognize that you aren't aware of everything that's going on in the world. I know that even on my show, I did it maybe five years without devoting a full show to disability, to, to making that a whole topic of a show. Judith Human's book back in, I think it was, I can't remember now, a few months ago, was probably the first time I did that. So for five years I had a show, of course, mostly focused on psychology and psychological issues, but then I did talk about sexism, racism, uh, homophobia, different types of prejudices, but I didn't really address disability quite so clearly and strongly, and that's on me. That's an area where I was, of course, aware of, but not aware of that I was really neglecting in the way that I was. And so I take responsibility for that, that if I want to be an ally, and I'm also an ally right now for people that I maybe don't even realize I'm neglecting. And I hope to, in this way, as I was saying, continue my education, that I have to be receptive. We have to be looking for people who are left out. Because the sad thing is, when people are voiceless, we don't hear them that they're suffering. I know that almost sounds obvious, but sometimes we don't realize that, that there's people who are suffering whose voices are not out there very much precisely because they are suffering, because they're being neglected by society. So, for example, individuals who are homeless um, don't really get a lot of opportunities to be in the media because they are homeless. Their voices are not heard. And so, thankfully, there are individuals who are trying to help people who are homeless, but very often their voices are not heard. So similarly, and uh, you know, there's different groups of people, like I said, people I'm 
maybe not even aware that I've neglected my whole life, or at least let's say on this show, that I have to be vigilant about. We have to be vigilant about injustice because very often the people who have power are quieting the ones who are suffering. And very often the people who are suffering the injustice don't have a voice or their voice is not being heard. And so if we're not looking for people who are suffering or being mindful of that, then we're going to miss out. And of course, individuals with disabilities, I don't want to say that in a way to imply they are not putting their voices out there, because as this book very clearly indicates, their voices are out there in so many ways. Maybe we just haven't been looking, or I can say for myself, looking strongly enough. So I don't say that to undermine or minimize the contributions of individuals within any community, but to recognize that very often those who are suffering, those who are being neglected, are not given giving the, the voice. And we have to sometimes help them uh, amplify their voices. I can't speak on the rights uh, on the behalf of anyone else, but I can try to amplify the voices. That's why I hope you'll read this book, Disability Visibility, to hear the voices and to continue your education as I'm going to continue my education in understanding the experiences of individuals with disabilities. Also, you know, disability is an interesting term because it's not some black and white thing. We all experience disability in some way, in some form. At some point in your life, likely you will experience it, whether it's an older age or some injury or illness you have or something you experience. It's really in some ways a part of life um, that we recognize that we make it this very black and white label, but it's part of our whole experience as human beings is you have different levels of ability not to undermine the experiences of those who might face them in certain ways, but just to also recognize this us of them that we might have about disability is very much something where a fiction we're creating in our head to think it's such a, a difference about an us and a them. As is always the case when we think of race, we think of something so real, but it's not something so real. Um, yes, disability might have real impacts and people might deserve real let's say, services or things that take care of them. But the way we might think of ourselves as so different from someone else is usually something that's exaggerated and not so real. But nonetheless, to be vigilant for the suffering of others or individuals who are left out, who are not brought to the table is very important. And the last essay in the book was a very interesting one. I uh, really enjoyed talking about spaces for individuals who have disabilities and how they deserve to have their own spaces, but then uh, sometimes they're still left out in society. And that to me was very interesting uh, by S.E. Smith, the beauty of spaces created for and by disabled people. I'm looking at the time I do have to wrap up, but that was also a very interesting chapter looking at our article about how individuals with disabilities are, have created their own spaces. And that could be so beautiful for them. And it was interesting when you read that chapter that it was a space created for and by individuals with disabilities. Um, but when they went back into the world, uh, she went to the BART station and, and that's the elevator was not working, something like that. That's how it essentially it ends. A reminder that the world is still not catching up. We have to do some catching up to create a community that is more inclusive. And I think it's up to all of us to make sure we're part of that for all members of society. Today, the focus of the book, Disability Visibility, was on individuals with disability. But I hope that we can all be mindful of those who are not getting the rights they deserve. And it's up to all of us to be the voice, or at least to amplify the voices of those who are suffering and neglected. Uh, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. As always, thank you to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delok. We have a wonderful night. Mm -hmm.